1: Imperative Entertainment. This is Honora.
2: The sport of professional bull riding is the most dangerous sport in the world because if somebody gets seriously hurt. There's no whistle to stop that bull.
1: They'll turn back on top of you and stomp you in the ground, jerk your arms out of place, hit you upside the of the head with the horns. It is the most dangerous sport.
3: Because it's the only sport a man willingly straps himself to the back of an 1,800-pound animal that is a beast and tries to stay on it for eight seconds.
2: That bull don't care about nothing, and they're going to put you on the ground whether you're black or white.
1: To be a bull rider, you got to have the eye of the tiger. You got to have that desire in your heart because very few people out there have that desire but the ones that do that's the ones that go on up the
2: ladder people try to ask what's it like to ride a bull and i feel like there's no real way to you know explain it
4: So we've been waiting
3: on. So Zeke was at some point sleeping in the, in the Crown Vic car that he had. He's working at Dairy Queen trying to make ends meet and Hurricane Harvey hits and his mom's house is flooded. So he had nothing. And Maybe I just came around at the right time for him.
1: Professional bull riding is the world's most dangerous sport and Ezekiel Mitchell has had his fair share of spills. But like every cowboy worth his salt, when life fucks you off, you got to get back in the bucking chute. I'm Sylvester Stallone, and this is The Comeback.
2: Sounds good. Uh, My name is Ezekiel Mitchell. I'm 24 years old, and I'm a professional bull rider. I grew up in Rockdale, Texas, and and there was pretty much three routes. You had uh, your athletes playing football, basketball. You can be a drug dealer, be in the streets, or or you could be a cowboy. And I said, I'm going to go ahead and be a cowboy. Whenever I was a kid, my dad always dressed in cowboy clothes, and I wanted to be just like him. Whenever I was a kid, I still wore cowboy clothes to school. And kids would try to make fun of me or this and that, because that wasn't the cool thing at the time. Librarian and a computer lab teacher, they both pointed me in the right direction to look for, like, Bill Pickett books. And then the computer lab teacher printed me out a whole stack of papers about this big of just black cowboys in history. And uh, that's where I, I really... Uh, started to learn about the rich culture that African-Americans have had in the Western lifestyle and the Western heritage.
0: My name is Walter Thompson Hernandez. I'm the author of the Compton Cowboys book, The New Generation of Cowboys in America's Urban Heartland. So following the Civil War, there was a need for for ranchers, for cowboys to lead horse drives and cattle drives. And a lot of African-American families already had this rich love for horses and, and cowboy culture. And so African-American families, they headed West and they headed to to States like Texas and places like Oklahoma. And a- as many as one in four cowboys was African-American there's, you know, legacies of black cowboys like Bill Pickett and that and love and, and, and the Buffalo soldiers who really speak to this. And so, the Black Cowboy had a big role in the sort of modern founding of the West. You know How American culture was exported around the world was essentially through popular culture and through television and film and radio and you know this really sort of pristine idea of the white cowboy you know the john Wayne types, the marlboro cigarette ads came to represent the west and even if he did run off three of your best mares he's one of the last of a wild and very singular breed come to marlboro country it's absolutely inaccurate to leave out Black folks from conversations around cowboy culture. But today we're kind of seeing this resurgence of the Black cowboy, and I think what's happening now in terms of public culture is really important in sort of reinserting Black people in in spaces where they should have existed already.
2: My mom and dad—they already knew that I was going to be a cowboy from day one, but. Uh... When the bull riding came in, that's when it got a little difficult. It got a little hairy for a second. It's literally all I wanted to do and my dad uh, said he prayed about it. God told him to let me ride bulls and he never thought about it again. And then my mom, it took a quite a long bit of convincing because she didn't like it at all. Thought I was pretty much signing a death sentence or something.
1: This is the most dangerous sport in the world, there is no question. These animals are big enough, they can kill you on accident.
2: Every time you leave the chute, you're getting on an animal that, that weighs more than the cab you just took to the event. You're getting that buck and you have no idea what that bull's gonna do. It can get out of control, just like that.
1: But when you factor in that there's a, a 2,000 pound animal with baseball bats coming out of his head, that raises the stakes. In seconds, it can go from you being at the top of your game to your life completely changed. And, this
2: bull-riding game is that dangerous. Nod, he's going to give you a slow gate. and just keep driving forward. Put it on the bucket. shoot forward. I pretty much learned the basics of bull-riding from Mutt Newman. He's a, pretty much a legend down there in the rodeo world. He was the one that made me tough. <laughs>
1: Good afternoon, folks. This is Mutt Newman from Dayton, Texas. I've been in the rodeo business since 1967. We produce rodeos everywhere. We raise bucking bulls and wild cattle. I started a procedure out here called practice bull riding. And there's a little boy from Baytown, Texas, named Ezekiel Mitchell. Finally got out of high school, didn't have a place to, to stare in and work, so he come to work for me. And I picked up on it real quick that you could in my words, belittle him, make him feel like I was really mad at him, and it would make him mad, and he would try harder. One day, we're bucking bulls out there like all young boys. He want to pick his bulls, get you on. Know? But the day that I told him to get on those ranked bulls out there, and he said, no, I'm not getting on them bulls. I said, yes, sir. You work for me. You want to be a bull rider? You're going to get on these bulls. I'm going to make you or break you, big boy. He threw a fit, throwed his helmet down, went over and got in the grandstand, sat over there. I said, yeah, sit over and pout. You need to get tough, cowboy, if you're going to ride bulls because they're not going to let you draw what you want to when you go to a rodeo. And he took a big huff and a puff and jumped over the fence and grabbed his headgear and said, load them. I'm going to show you I can ride them. That's the way I enticed him to, to get tough and be somebody.
4: Come on, Zeke. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty good at the school. I was pretty good in the practice pen. I was terrible at rodeos. So I think the most I've ever won at a high school rodeo was $96. And the fees were $200 for the weekend. And I didn't really get really good until after I graduated high school. And later on that year, I got pretty dang good pretty fast. And after graduating high school, I started entering open bull ridings, which is like amateur bull ridings, and you can win thousands of dollars on the weekend. And in Texas, you could make a pretty substantial living if you could stay on a few bulls a weekend. So the term eight seconds comes from how we get paid and how we make our livelihood. We have to ride a bull for eight seconds in order to get a score. Without a score, we can't get paid. So it is critical and crucial that every weekend that we nod our heads, that we at least get an eight second ride out of the deal.
1: You've got four judges there at the rodeos that judge bulls. So these four judges sitting there, they judge the rider for one point to 50 points on the ability he has to ride the animal and how well he can maintain it. Then they judge the bull, 1 to 50, on kick, spin, and ability to throw the rider in difficulty.
2: We're the only sport that don't get paid to show up, so we only get paid if we perform. So uh, it's kind of a dog-eat-dog world in bull riding, so you got to get it how you live.
1: You got eight seconds of fury wrapped around your hand there. Nothing but your grip and your ability to control your balance to ride this animal. It's a competition between you and the animal in that chute. If you think you're going to get whipped when you crawl in that chute, you're going to get whipped. Kind of like a prize fight. If you don't think you can win, you're going to lose. To be a bull rider, you got to have the eye of the tiger. you got to have that desire in your heart. There's very few people out there have that desire, but the ones that do, that's the ones that go on up the ladder. And Zeke will be one of those eye of the tiger in him.
2: At that time, yeah, I was rodeoing really heavy, going to amateur rodeos, just starting to go to the lower division PBRs, and I was doing pretty decent, but I was driving all over the country, so a lot of my money was tied up in that. The first place that I ever went to out of state was Stillwell, Oklahoma. Then after that, I went to Wayne, Nebraska, all the way back down to Locust Grove, Oklahoma, to Roanoke, Virginia from Texas, Texas to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, driven to Florida, stayed there for two days, and then drove all the way back to Texas, uh, Mississippi, Houston, Texas, all the way to Lancaster, California. Made that long drive down 10, it was blistering hot. We had the AC on full blast. I, I don't know how y'all live out there. <laughs> going to them amateur rodeos most weekends for me and my traveling partner uh jt moore who is still my traveling partner to this day either one of us would walk out of the weekend with three to four thousand dollars a piece so uh yeah we were making stupid money for kids that never really had much money so if my mom and them were kind of stressed out about school clothes money for my little brothers and sisters or whatever i'd you know throw them a little bit of money and then uh, it, it, it definitely is tough. I mean, the name of the game when you're amateur rodeo on is make sure you keep winning because you gotta keep traveling.
4: Breaking news, Hurricane Harvey barreling into the Texas coastline as a category four storm with 130 mile an hour winds, threatening record rain totals of up to 35 inches throughout much of Texas. That could render some areas uninhabitable for months.
2: I was in college uh, when Hurricane Harvey hit, and I was pretty much sitting in my dorms. I called my mom, I said, Mommy, I need to get out of there. The flooding was pretty much the the worst of it. Flooded out my parents' house. There was standing water in the house. They were going to have to replace all the the sheetrock so it wouldn't mold, so they went and cut it out. And I had to give up a good bit of my money to make sure that my family had everything they needed. So that was a tough time for all of us, and uh, they needed me more than I needed to be rodeoing, so it did take a lot of my money away. I didn't get to go to the bigger events that I had planned on kind of saving up to go to.
1: When you go into the PBR, it's a long, hard road to get from A to Z. It's not like the NFL or anything. You pay your own way to get to where you're going. In order to do this here, it becomes very, very difficult when time's is hard, and Zeke was by himself out there on the road trying to make it on his own. Just whatever he could win, whatever he could keep and work a little bit here and there, so.
2: I didn't really have much, and it it wears on a guy. And um, you see your goals are this close, but they feel so far away. So I had to go back to the drawing board. It was 2018, uh, when Max Maxwell came into my life. I had just recently done a piece uh, on YouTube with uh, Vice Films, and in that film, I was pretty much saying, like, if I had the funds to actually go as much as I wanted to, then I'd be able to be on the big tour.
3: What would it take for you to get to that higher level at the PBRs, get to that place that you want to be? If I get enough money
2: to go, then I'm on the road and I believe full and wholeheartedly that I'd be on tour. What would it take to secure those finances? Sponsors, somebody, anonymous donor, I don't know, somebody just helping me out. Just help me not do it on my own anymore, that's the hardest part. And uh, I guess that video went viral. Max seen it and he commented on my post.
3: My name is Max Maxwell. I'm a serial entrepreneur, real estate investor and developer. So when I first reached out to Ezekiel Mitchell, it started as a comment on Instagram. And my comment was, just seeing you on you know, YouTube, if money is all the problem, reach out to me.
2: I was like, this guy's gotta be kidding me. This guy
3: ain't about to give me no money. I had had other people
2: in the past say they're gonna help me financially. And um, they do it for a second and then leave or realize how much it actually costs. And then they're like, ah. Uh. So
3: in the back of my head, I was like, I don't trust this guy and we went back and forth a few times, and I said, how about I come out to Houston and meet you? Well, mm-hmm. and behold, he flew out to Houston the next week, met up with him for breakfast, and... You know, kind of what I've seen in Zeke when I first talked to him and met him, I've seen myself, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, I didn't have much growing up, I've got immigrant parents, I'm the first generation American, and I know that most people just need a push. And sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's just where you can, somebody can see them. But what I noticed, he was a well-mannered, respectful young man that was trying his best. And he was in an area where he really shouldn't be, but his his talent led him there. The conversation
2: it was just, hey man, I, I know I can do this. Can you help me? You have a company, I can do it in exchange for a logo on my vest or blah, blah, blah. And he was like, nah, I don't want anything out of it. I was like... Everybody wants something out of something.
3: So I said, listen, I don't need anything from you. I, I'm financially independent. We can do this or we're not. I said, you just got to trust me. Usually when somebody says that you shouldn't trust them, but I said it anyways. And <laughs> and so we ate breakfast. We talked about a lot, his family, himself, and kind of him educating me on the sport and where he's at and kind of how you got to go up into the ranks and and then from there, we just started hanging out all day. I kind of wanted to get to know
2: who I was as a person. So. We drove around, we went to Mutt Newman's place and just kind of showed
3: him how my life was and, and what I was, I was doing at the time. And, you know, I just started to see more of that whole cowboy lifestyle and what it takes. And I'm hearing Mutt talk about how talented he thinks Zeke is. If
1: Zeke keeps on continuing doing what he's gonna do and has financial support behind him, he can push himself to the world title. He can be the PBR champion of the world.
2: Then after that, I really did start to trust him a lot faster, and I trust a lot of people because he, he showed initiative.
3: I said, listen, what do you need? And he was like, I need some gear. And we went to go to different places to go find him gear. I bought him a bunch of new clothes just so he can, you know, look the part, you know, get newer stuff, because they don't really spend money on clothes and things like that. And he didn't have the money to spend.
2: Whenever Max did come in and kind of gave me, like, a little bit of financial freedom, that's exactly what it was. It was freedom. Uh, it was freedom to know that Whenever I rode, all I had to do was worry about riding. I didn't have to worry about how I was getting to the next event or how I was getting home or how I was going to eat. I was safe. You know, it was one of the first times in my bull riding career that I had felt like I was safe, that I I could just do me.
3: You know, I pulled him to the side. I said, Zeke, listen, I don't know how tough this is going to be for you, but, you know, I'm seeing the way you're living, and I'm seeing the people you're hanging around, and you're something special. It's like, you need structure is like, just imagine how good you can be with a little bit of structure. I got to extract you from the current situation you're in. I'm gonna need you to move to North Carolina and I'm, I'm gonna put this offer for you, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you a house to live in. and I'm gonna pay all the bills and everything. All you have to do is be an
2: athlete. Start teaching me how to be a professional and how to carry myself a little better. Put me on the new things, new food, a new culture, a new life. I, I really do feel like it helped me as
3: far as maturing me went. I was no longer kind of a kid anymore. This is this is the way to live. And I said you're gonna work out in the weeks, you're gonna train, and on the weekend you're gonna go pick up your checks. And so I started setting that in his head early that you you need to become an athlete. You need to go train. You're a professional athlete now. And if you want to get paid like one, you need to you need to act like one. The more bulls that I rode, I realized how good I
2: was becoming. Being able to go every weekend just built my confidence, and I was just getting better and better and better. And, and so we moved him up to North Carolina, and boom. Three or four months later, I was on the main stage tour. So I kept my promise, and he kept his.
4: This ought to be good. Ball, Zeke. Yep. There he is. Yeah. Yeah. There he That's is. The stuff. That's the stuff, Zeke. That's the Ezekiel Mitchell we've been waiting on.
2: After Max started helping me, I was like, how about you just become
3: my agent? And he was like, all right. And he was like, how we do that? And I was like, I'll just start calling you my agent. And a few weeks later, I was officially his agent at that capacity. So now I can go to events freely and support him and help him. Then after that, uh, the rest is history.
4: Some of the best bull riders in the world will be coming together at Madison Square Garden.
2: They go from small rodeos in Texas, Madison Square Gardens. I mean, it is unlike any other event out there. I'm going into the locker room with all the guys that I've looked up to for forever, and I finally get to ride against them. There's 172 photographers running around, taking pictures, snapping them right in your face, and it's sold out. It was like an awestruck moment, like, oh, snap, this is real.
1: New York City, you still with me?
3: You know, for me, I'm, I'm in the crowd like a crazy dad fan, just screaming. I got goosebumps watching him ride. Here we go, here's the nine. That
4: is two in a row for Zeke, and he can talk about this one as well.
2: There's a few routes that stick out in my head. My rookie year, Second ride at the PBR World Finals when I rode Lester Gillis, a boy that at that time had not been ridden very often, and I was first out.
1: Zeke at the moment to light this place up. Boys gonna come out backwards too. Perfect for Zeke. Go do it! Go do it!
0: And a rip-roaring performance by the young Zeke Mitchell.
2: I rode him for 89 and a half points to start off the show. That was really cool. And then I rode the two-time and ran, Bucking Bull of the Year, Smooth Operator for 93 points.
3: Zeke has done it. This is gonna be big. 93
4: points. Not another feeling in
2: the world like that right there. Look, this is getting out of the way and letting your ability take over. That's what Zeke did. He reacted to what Smooth Operator threw at him. No traps, no gimmicks, just great bull riding. My career high ride, just kind of like the underdog in it because I had faced him two times before that and I finally got him rode and it was so cool. One of the coolest moments of my life. Like, And it was just,
3: it's just magical to see him be able to do that in the arena go crazy, and the, even the guy that owned the bull go crazy. I was above Cloud9
2: because you can't even put it into words how it feels to ride something of that magnitude and match a move for move. You know, like we were supposed to be doing it together for
3: a reason, like, like we were meant to do that for our whole lives. After that, we got done and we hugged and we were like, I was like, you got it, man, you got it.
2: At the end of my rookie season, it had went by so fast that I didn't even realize how well I had done. Whenever I finished the year out, I was like, dang, if if I can finish 15th in the world my rookie year, then I might really be something special next year. I feel like as an African-American, I don't really want to be called an African-American. I'd rather just be a bull rider or a world champion. Uh, when I win a world title, I, I know it's going to come. It's going to be the big headlines, what's going to blow it through the roof. But uh, I'd, I'd rather be just a bull rider because at the end of the day, I feel like we all bleed red. So we're all the same. I mean, just because uh, I look a certain way shouldn't dictate significance of what I do, you
0: know? I mean, I think Zeke is really entitled to, to how he wants to be perceived. And I think it's really important for him to maybe control the narrative around his life and, and his profession and, and his identity. Something that, that I found really interesting in, in researching and writing the Compton Cowboys book was that, you know, I spent time with a lot of black cowboys in, in Atlanta and in Houston and Texas. It feels like often black cowboys do, of course, recognize that they've experienced some challenges in, in the world particularly being a, being a person of color, right? But I think more often than not, there is a, a recognition to want to be known as a bull rider or a cowboy before anything. It makes us really think about the ways that we can sort of impose ideas about something on someone when, when someone really just wants to blend in, essentially. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think cowboy culture is a sort of really complicated fraternity. I think uh, it's a really complicated narrative, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, you have people like Zeke who are, are very entitled to, to owning their own narrative.
2: I would love for everybody to view each other the same way I view all my brothers. My traveling partner, JT Moore, he is a white guy, but I I don't introduce him as my traveling partner or my best friend, he's my brother. We may not be blood, but we're brothers. Like I hate the fact that, um, that we're still kind of separating the, the two. That's my biggest thing that I want the world to see is not the color of your skin. It's like Martin Luther King said, it's the content of your character. That's what I want people to see at the end of the day, is be you and be happy in your own skin. I mean, that bull don't care if you're a world champion, you're a rookie, He don't care if you're black, white, brown, them bulls don't care about your color, they don't care about nothing. They're there to do their job, they're athletes, they know their job is to get you on the ground and they're going
3: to put you on the ground, whether you're black or white. Zeke does have a tough time, you know, especially in this climate that we're in now that, you know, people refer to him as the only black bull rider and the African-American this and that he's at the finals. This African-American hasn't been an X amount of years. The headlines do get kind of old to him because he is there just trying to be the next champion. But you know that's that's just part of him getting older and understanding the responsibility of, hey, you're it. You don't get to choose, you know, what color you are when you're born, and you're the example of a lot of kids. There's a lot of people who have who would have never watched the PBR event if it wasn't for Zeke. That's what brought me to him was that he was a black bull rider in a predominantly white sport. And I think he should take pride in that and, and take pride in being able to show other kids and other minorities that, hey, you can go out and do this too. It's a sport that, that's available to you as well and, and an outlet is available to you. But, you know, Zeke loves everybody. And so he doesn't just want to be labeled this, but it's hard because you are what you are.
0: I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, Zeke is a black man in this country. And I think whether or not he wants to see himself as sort of being representative of, of, you know, African-American culture in any way or the face, essentially, of Black cowboy culture is up to him. But, you know, on the other hand, it almost goes to say, right, that, like, he will ultimately be seen that way because there aren't a lot of Black people who are doing what he's doing at the level that he's doing it at. So I think he almost naturally falls into this sort of role of inspiring other Black Americans, you know, to bull ride and to be cowboys, whether he likes it or not, you know? And and I think, like I said earlier, it's up to him whether he wants to own that. You know, I also understand that there's a lot of pressure on that.
3: There is a great responsibility for Zeke, whether he likes it or not, right? You know, to be what you're doing and be the only African-American person doing it, there's a responsibility of one, you need to keep your nose clean and stay out of crap, and two, to strive and be your best, because we don't know when there's going to be a next one.
2: To become a world champion, it's it's just going to take me really buckling down and remaining serious and knowing uh, and believing in my abilities. Uh, That's that's my biggest thing that I, I struggle with, is believing in myself week in and week out like I'm supposed to. Obviously, I'm, I've been put in this position, and I'm, I'm here riding bulls for a reason. So I, I need to believe in myself, and when that true belief's there, there's not a bull in this world that can buck me off, and I don't, I don't think there's a guy out there that can really beat me uh, when I truly believe in myself. So that that's my biggest thing is constantly reminding myself how how good I actually am because I, I was grown up to be kind of like a humble guy. I try not to put myself in higher positions than other people, but in the sport where you're fighting for a world champion that's something that i have to learn to let go of when i do learn to let go of it just watch out that's big when i win
3: my world title mentally he's always said he wants to become a champion and now he has to put those actions behind those words because you can get comfortable being financially secure and so now you got to remove that money aspect and go for it for just pure self-respect. I mean, Michael Jordan could have been playing against his own father, and he's gonna put him on the ground if he can. And so that's that no prisoners mentality. And so I think you're gonna have to get there mentally, and you're gonna have to be able to to, to turn on that natural killer instinct.
2: If I can say anything that makes me a better bull rider, it's just that the more I hang out around these guys that are success-driven, I feel like that my
3: mindset gets better every day. Zeke had to work his way up, and how you do that is you pay entry fees. And so these guys would scrape up 100, 200 bucks to be able to enter, to spend three seconds on a bull to lose all their money, and drive from like Texas to North Dakota. I mean, they're literally in cars that I would not take to the local gas station. They're driving them all across the country just to be able to spend their hard-earned money, to be able to pay entry fees, to hopefully get a ride, to hopefully get enough points, to then be ranked, to then go to the, the upper league of riding bulls. He's at some point sleeping in the in the Crown Vic car that he had. He's working at Dairy Queen, trying to make ends meet and Hurricane Harvey hits and his mom's house is flooded and the roof shingles are not there. And that puts a pause on life because he has a lot of siblings. So I, I, maybe I just came around at the right time. I want to be a world champion. That's what I tell myself before I get on It was like,
2: The road to a world title starts here. It starts over every single bull. Every single weekend, every single bull, it starts over. No matter what happened the day before, what happened 15 minutes before that, it doesn't matter. I'm here to be a world champion, and this is where it starts. So if you just take one step at a time, eventually you'll walk up to your goal.
4: The Comeback is brought to you by Imperative Entertainment and is created, written, and edited by Giles Andrew and Elliot Watson of Honora Productions. Executive producers are Sylvester Stallone and Braden Aftergood of Balboa Productions, Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment and Trevor Groth of 30 West. The Comeback is produced by Honora Productions and Balboa Productions in association with 30 West. Original music for the series composed by Dan Powell. Sound design and sound mixing also by Dan Powell. Special thanks to Ezekiel Mitchell, Dave Harding, Walter Thompson Hernandez, Max Maxwell, and Mutt Newman. Additional thanks to Ryan Abushi, Alex Witherill, Dawn Bishwell, Charles Denton, and Kenny Kuziak for the song titled Conspiracy. Narration engineered by Skylar Kilborn. Poster design and graphics by Dana Kim and Ricardo Imperial. Key art photography of Sylvester Stallone by Michael Putland. Please subscribe, download and share and follow us on social media for extra content and updates.